Ladies and gentlemen, that Lionsgate logo can only mean one thing. Somebody, some once Canadian company was foolhardy enough to finance a Clerks 3. Welcome to the Clerks 3 commentary track. I am your host, uh, Kevin Smith, and I'm here with your other co-hosts, co-architects of this here motion picture. Um, here in the room with me, uh, to my right, as saying the role of Randall Graves is the great Jeff Anderson. Say hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. Uh, to my left, as saying the role of newcomer to the, did I put a B in there? Newcomer. Yeah, so you thought you were going to say cucumber. <laughs> cucumber, newcomer. Uh, the newcomer to uh, Clerks 3 Universe playing uh, Blockchain uh, Coltrane, ladies and gentlemen. Um, he will be speaking more on this commentary track than he does in the motion picture Clerks 3. Give it up for Austin <laughs> Zager. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. Don't be a Hello. cucumber, fucker. Yeah, <laughs> stop with that cucumber nonsense. Um, all right. Not here in the room, but still uh, number one in our hearts via zoom from the other side of the world man uh he has played uh dante hicks to the t ladies and gentlemen welcome the great brian o'halloran yeah good to be coming at you from the other side of the planet now look at him brian's got his own like home studio and shit who'd you compare him to a sports figure dan patrick is that anybody is that accurate is that track with anybody? i don't know who that guy is <laughs> i hate to be like i don't know this man but it's a sports thing so it's completely over my head uh, and last but not least, joining us for the commentary, also from someplace else, probably the Bay Area, I would imagine. I'm in, Sa I'm in Santa Fe, actually. We're going to Zozobra tonight. Is that right? Santa Fe? Yeah. You know the way? Give it up for the one and only Elias, ladies and gentlemen, Trevor Furman. What's up, everybody? Good to be here. Uh, okay. The, uh, th this, uh, we're going to endeavor to make this wall-to-wall -wall oral, kids. We're just going to keep talking uh, throughout this motion picture. This motion picture uh, was a dream come true for me. I've been trying to make it, as I've been saying for a while, since almost the end of uh, Clerks 2. And uh, the good things come to those who wait because, uh, hands down, I believe this is the best work I've, I've done to date. I can't think of anything that I've made that sh shows that, oh, he did figure out what to do as a storyteller. It shows growth. And it's this weird magic trick of a movie that requires three decades to pull off because by the time we get to the third act, you gotta be a fucking robot to, <laughs> not to be, you know, a little moist around the eyes or, or even the pants. It's, it's a very moving motion picture. And as I've been telling people while we've been doing press, it had to be that because it, it was always gonna lack something from the first movie. First movie, uh, Clerks, released in 1994, um, is dripping with authenticity. Dripping moist cheese. I'm trying to turn the audience on. I'm all about backdoor, man. I'm incepting. I can't like do the full approach. I gotta like put a lot of suggestive words so they start feeling sexy. I'm hoping tops come off. Yes, that's right. If you're feeling, if you're listening, and you feel comfortable and not, it's not weird. Take your top off. Well, shit. Hold on a minute here. This is like a another weird version of the end of the movie. <laughs> like yes. your little like meditation yes. thing at the end. Well, that's what I wanted to do originally. Over the credits at the end, I wanted to have everybody chit chatting and try to talk the audience into doffing their tops. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever done that in a motion picture before. Chris Nolan's never done that, and they say he's one of the greats. Uh, I was uh, feeling a little jealous not being in the room, but now I think I'm feeling a little safer. Stay away, man. You be these titties will swing around, hit you in the fucking face, bro. <laughs> um, that movie was dripping with authenticity, kids, because I worked at the store 
while we were making the movie, as soon as we turned the camera off from shooting scenes, I was like ringing people up a few hours later. So it is a movie about how much people hate working. And it was made by a person that really hated working. And he was rewarded with a career where he never had to work again a day in his life. So when we get to Clerks 2, which is a movie I dearly fucking love, it is a movie that uh, that is filled with artifice. Uh, I didn't work at a fast food joint. I never been to a donkey show. Um, a lot of it's like just made up, whereas Clerks was like literally a carbon copy of my life with all the names changed. Clerks 2 was actually me crafting a story and imagining where Dante and Randall would go. Um, Clerks 3 uh, is once again dripping with authenticity. Uh, it's not because you know, I work in retail again, and now I, I, I own a retail joint. I've owned a comic book store for 25 years, so if I heard a customer tell me like, hey man, your fucking employee said this job would be great if it weren't for the fucking customers, I'd be like, well, that, 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 that employee's fired. Heard a customer, you're implying you actually go there and work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good point. I just count the money, kids, that's all I do. So I'm, I can't tell you about retail experience anymore, so that wasn't gonna be at work here in Clerks 3. But I had to replace it with something authentic. So as we know by now, if you're watching this commentary track, you've been through the movie probably. Um, the authenticity this time out is uh, Randall has my heart attack. And then Dante and Randall make my movie. So just as Clerks was like a snapshot of my life and I just changed the fucking names and shit, Clerks 3, way more so than Clerks 2, is very much a snapshot of my life, just pulling from disparate parts of my life and flipping the order of things. If you remember, I made a movie and then years later I had a heart attack. But we only got 90 minutes to tell a story, so we gotta compress shit. And so Randall has a heart attack and then he's like, bing, I wanna make a movie. Um, the boys here will attest to the fact that there was a different alternative version of Clerks 3 that I've been trying to make for years prior to this version. This version came into being in my head while I was on the Reboot Roadshow tour, but then I started writing it in January 2021. We were shooting by August of 2021. So yeah. I'm gonna throw it out to both Brian and Jeff. And uh, we'll start with Jeff, because he's right here next to me in the room. That that other version of uh, Clerks 3, mm -hmm. what, what do you remember about it? And are you glad we didn't do it, or should we have done it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how far into that script you want to get. Um, we can go deep. Oh. I've told everybody. Basically, a short synopsis is it starts on the night of Hurricane Sandy. Sandy destroys Quick Stop. This puts Randall into a nervous breakdown of sorts. He goes to wait in line for a Ranger Danger movie to open a year before it opens, like people used to do with Star Wars movies. And a line starts forming behind him of people. Um, it becomes a movement. A whole village kind of erupts in the parking lot of this movie theater. Randall replicates Quick Stop by building a lean-to shanty bodega version of it <laughs> and tries to replicate life. And he becomes mayor of this unofficial town um, while Dante uh, re-enters his life uh, with a daughter, if you remember. Oh, shit, I do remember. Why didn't we shoot that script? That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, like, Josh Roush, Dr. Josh Roush, who shoots all our behind-the-scenes stuff and whatnot, he was like, uh, I, that's the greatest thing you've ever written. I was like, it reads like King Lear. It like, it reads like, did this guy remember that fucking Clerks was set at a convenience store? <laughs> you know, so it, it was, that's the version of the movie that at one point we're gonna make. Big Grand Guggenau, and at the end, in the third act, when they finally go see the Ranger Danger movie, there is a, a theater shooting. Yeah. Like, it was a big 
ending, very dramatic, but also like Clerks 2, very made up. Did that come before or after the the shooting for in the Batman theater? I think it was right around the same time. Like, I certainly didn't predict. I think one of those shootings had happened, and that's right. why it was on my mind, and it really, like, bugged me, where I'm like, you know, if you're a movie person, you're like, come on. Right. That's a church, for heaven's sakes, a temple. Now, nobody's safe there. So it wound up in the third act, and it made Dante super heroic. Dante died in the third act, mm. saving his daughter from this uh, mass shooter in a movie theater and stuff. Mm. Um, and then the shooter, if you remember, was, like, killed rather, like, viciously. <laughs> by? <laughs> by Elias <laughs> with a kite. He stabbed this dude, like, through with a kite and then just kept stabbing him until Randall was like, it's all right. By the way, <laughs> it was right. a creepy Christ kite. <laughs> yeah. I still have trouble yeah. saying that. I still yeah. have to slow down and say that very carefully. <laughs> creepy Christ kite. The kites? Yeah, the one the one thing that made it from the that, that clerk's through script into this one was the Christ kites. <laughs> it's true. The, uh, the conversation that you guys are having right now in the movie, that existed in every incarnation of Clerks 3. Yeah. Um, the original opening had um, the, uh, uh, from, from the old Clerks 3 script, wound up being the opening of Jane Silent Bob reboot. Hmm. So right. like when the cops come and fucking bust the place <laughs> yeah. and shit, that was really the opening of the original Clerks 3 script. Then the boys all went to like, uh, jail and were interrogated in various rooms and stuff and then all of a sudden they were told Sandy was happening. And my favorite joke in that was the one guy going, you know, it's the it was either it was gonna be Kevin Pollock and John Goodman as the cops and, and John Goodman was gonna be facing the camera and he's going, You're gonna talk, god damn it. Before this night's over, you're gonna talk and then he just cut to Silent Bob. That was my one cop joke that would have made it all worth it for me. Thank God we didn't make it. But them Christ kites, man, have made it through every incarnation. Uh, I, I just wanted to float the idea of Kinky Kelly still being in the cell next to us. <laughs> Fifteen years later. They haven't let him out. I miss my dog. Or he's just, he's just got arrested again. For some interspecies erotica. Repeat offender. Uh, Bri, what do you remember about the Grand Guggenau Clerks 3? And uh, uh, do yeah. you prefer that to this or this to that? No, no. This this is definitely more in in line with the rest of the canon that is the Viewers Universe. Um, the the darkness that was that third act and uh, leading up to the relationship that Dante and Randall had, there was issues that Dante was having. That was a discussion. Um, the relationship that another character that was introduced in that first script that would have been played by, I think, Sarah Silverman, I think you were thinking of at one point, mm -hmm. or someone like that. There were those kind of elements like, ooh, that's kind of cool. That's ooh, right, that's Randall cool. fell in love in that Randall version. Randall got a chick! That's right, and finally. And we scrapped that movie! <laughs> what the fuck? When I got the new script, I flipped through it so fast for a girl, I was like, ah, oh, Jesus. You have a, your passion in Clerks 3 is not a woman, it's film. It's art. <laughs> that's how you can tell you're an artist, because you stop thinking about fucking, and you're like, I'd rather make a movie. <laughs> well, I'm I'm not an artist. <laughs> In the original version, that's right. It was uh, it was like uh, a Sarah. Uh, I wanted Sarah to do it because she was gonna. 
do she read Clerks too, and she's like, I do, I would do this in a heartbeat if I could play Randall. And I was like, the part's taken. Why didn't you tell me that? I'd gladly give it up. <laughs> uh, but she, there was, there was a like a romance. Like I remember there was a scene where like you guys are is post coitus in a projection booth. You call that a romance? Do you remember that scene? I do. It's basically <laughs> Randall saying, I don't try to please anybody, and I never will. That's your idea of romance, my friend. It was Randall still trying oh, to hold on to Randall. He did grab her nipple at some point, so I guess that's the romance. By request. By um, request. It was, yeah, it's true. There was a whole different storyline. That was the, the Randall falls in love storyline. This um, is the this scene right here is the closest you got to romance, my friend. That's true. <laughs> there, there. Look at there some nipple go. grabbing going on right there. Uh, this, of course, is the big moment in the movie. And look at it. It happens 12 minutes in. If you had asked me, I would have been like, I don't know, 20 minutes. 12 minutes in. That's effective fucking storytelling. Um, look at that opening sequence, which we breeze through by talking, man. Welcoming everybody back with the hockey game on the roof. I've been look dreaming about doing fall. that. Look at that fall, man. Fucking give it up for who fell. Uh, my double. <laughs> that was the craziest thing. The day we were in the hospital and my double showed up and he and I both walked on to set together. I, I just heard the grumblings of the crew like, finally they replaced him. <laughs> <laughs> they got a real actor. It was like, that's a stuntman. Look, I said a real actor. Um, the uh, shirt that you're wearing mm -hmm. that you have your heart attack in, uh, designed by the great uh, Dark Nate Gonzalez, the Chuli's gum sucker shirt, yeah. was the tour shirt. That's what the, the, on the back it said Clerks 3, the convenience store. We went with oh, that, that right? as a tour shirt because everybody kind of loved that design and it, it gets a lot of screen time. In this movie, Randall wears a variety of t-shirts. Yeah, well, in, in uh, I very rarely walk away from sets with anything. I'm not a huge collector. I don't have kids, so I figure when I die, people are just going to come in and throw all this shit out anyway. Right. The only thing I asked for was one of those shirts. You got one? Uh, well, after much fighting with the wardrobe people, they said, well, they're, they're all taken. I was like, it's my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and Everybody like covered that too. shirt. There's three of them. Still like trying to get you that hair hat yeah. yes yeah yeah so see that hair right there that's a special effect kids like randall always has his hat on and we kind of sewed the hair into the back of the hat but there were moments in this movie where it's like well he can't be wearing a fucking hat if he's going through all this shit and uh mercifully the folks in hair and makeup were able to put together like you know fucking mini mullet yeah. That just attached to you in the hospital. It was so good, I felt the need to walk around behind the scenes and tell everybody, this isn't my real hair. This isn't my real hair. <laughs> People were like, doesn't he, does he know? <laughs> First the acid wash jeans, now the hair. He's really stuck in the 80s. Um, we've got uh, a first of our uh, couple cameo, many cameos in the movie. Uh, Amy Sedaris, you saw right before, playing Dr. Leidenheim, and then Justin Long uh, here just chewing the scenery uh, as the nurse. This is, uh, as a young storyteller, um, this would have bothered me, but as somebody who's been doing the job for 30 years, nearly, I, I, I don't give a shit where the laughs come. I get all the credit anyway. Um, at the premiere, the first big laugh and audience applause moment is when he goes, uh, I've seen, you know, uh, you're talking about, I got a little dick, and he's like, I've seen it all before. Uh, mm. uh, I work in pediatrics. Yes. Yeah. Huge fucking reaction. I did not write that line just to came up with it on the spot. Now, a young Kevin Smith would be like, I'm cutting that fucking line out. But a smart, older Kevin Smith is like, let it ride, let it ride. But as the writer, I'm always sitting, I keep track. I do keep the list where I'm like, mine, mine, not mine, mine, oh mine, mine. Uh, mercifully, on this movie, a lot of it is mine. Uh, you guys always honor the, the dialogue. 
But there's a there was a moment when we were shooting where we did something that we've never done in any of the movies. And it happens later when Brian does his big swan song speech. Remember we did a take where I was like, just fucking give me like, yeah, no, oh, fuck you. Like just like me reacting to the speech. Just and peppering it yeah. with shit that I was like, that way I can yeah. throughout the speech, yeah. jump back to you, keep you present. Because once Brian starts fucking orating, it's like you, you don't want to cut away, but it's like he's having a conversation. You got to remember the other guys there. Yeah. So rather than just cutting you all the time, you know, dumbfounded. I was like, say some shit yeah. back. And it makes that fight fucking electric. It man. wouldn't be like Randall to sit there that quietly that long and let him go on that long. So it felt like a very long pause. It, it was sort of like, it, it almost became the pillow pants scene from Clerks <laughs> 2 of just me standing there with my jaw open. It just didn't feel right. <laughs> the um, You boys have been uh, dante Randalling it for uh, a minute and a half and stuff. What's it like to go back into the characters? Like, cause you do it, you know, not, it's not like, oh, we do it every other year. It's like, what was it, 12 years between Clerks and Clerks 2 and now 16 years between Clerks 2 and Clerks 3. I, For me, this shit never leaves my blood. And you know, I, I live in the Busk universe. So even when we're not making movies, I'm doing something with it, comic books or something like that. Um, and it's always fresh in, in my mind and stuff. Um, for you guys, it's like periodically you're handed a script and it's like, now do the thing that we did when we were children. <laughs> but as grown-ups, what is it like to re-inhabit Dante and Randall, starting with Bri? You know, what's great is we have been peppered, or at least I've been peppered into some of the other movies like Jane Silent Bob Reboot, Strikes Back. So the the gaps are not as wide as the actual movie releases are. Mm. We're we're peppered in here and there, so it's never out of my system. Um, like you, I, I travel with the show, kind of as people are reminded of me and talk about it a lot. So uh, I'm always talking about it. That I love it. Uh, it's great when we, me and Jeff, do get together to do the films, especially. Um, it doesn't take long to where that banter, that timing uh, is really back to it. So uh, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy working with Jeff. I enjoy working with you, obviously, and, and Jay and, and everybody else from the Viewisk universe. And especially Trevor is back. And now we have we introduce Austin into this whole circle of madness. And uh, I love it. And it's always great. Just once we have your dialogue in our mouths and we're getting it out there, Boom! It's it's kind of comes natural. Now you uh, you this is uh, the the arts is a pursuit of yours since you were a kid. You were in yeah. theater before we made Clerks, and that's how we found Brian. He came into audition at the First Avenue Playhouse, which we have our inconvenience auditions in later on in the movie, the exact same place. Um, so you were always like, I want to act, Jeff. This was I, I got to imagine. Like you're used to it by now, but it it must be weird because it was not like in the cards for you. You were not like, I want to fucking be in movies and shit like that. Even in high school, you weren't like, let me do the plays like a dick. Nope, I uh, didn't do any of that stuff. So yeah, this kind of came out of left field and literally threw my life uh, in a 
in a dishwasher, if you will. That's not what I was looking for. Washing machine. <laughs> was actually machine. Very, I was like, that's pretty, that's poetic. I can see it. Couple cycles. <laughs> literally, literally threw my life in a dishwasher. <laughs> Washing literally. machine, okay? What is it, what is it like, though, to like not have that be the pursuit and then suddenly it's like oh this is such a big part of your life there are people in this world who think of you as an actor i know you tend not to think of yourself as one but there are people that think of you as an actor and and to you that must seem like anathema or foreign because you're like what huh? yeah people that i meet that consider me an actor i usually spend a, about a half an hour trying to convince them that i'm not an actor and they should <laughs> reconsider their <laughs> thoughts of actors <laughs> <laughs> your definition of actor is very large i disagree especially by the time you get to this movie you can fucking see like the, the there's a performer's heart there um so even though it wasn't the pursuit when you started even though you weren't like oh i want to fucking tread the boards you, you look forced into it multiple times. <laughs> you've, you've by you, I might add. Always like do it again. <laughs> it was so good. That's my problem. It's like I, I'm so American. Americans can't have one good experience and then like just try to have others. They're like I'm gonna replicate that experience. <laughs> I'm gonna re until you get to fucking Clark's three. Um, has it been? What do you think you would have preferred? Life as Randall or life without Randall? Um, I think now. You know, 30, 30 years later and having done three movies, I like life with Randall. Um, it, you know, it, I, I always say it's it's a very odd thing. I, I take off my hat and I don't get recognized. Sometimes I do just based on my voice. A lot of people will say, well, how do I? Or the flip around, too. If you flip it forward, it's <laughs> yeah. just your yeah, Clark it's, Kent. It completely <laughs> throws people. I mean, how many times, Brian, are we out together? We'll, yeah. we'll literally be eating dinner or standing together and some person will direct only the, you know, the clerk stuff to Brian and I'll be sitting right there. They, they'll literally hand me their phone and say, can you get a picture of Brian and I? <laughs> Boy, I wish that Randall guy uh, was here. Uh, that happens, many times. That happens to Jay as well, um, which is weird because I think Jay is kind of the more recognizable of us. Or with the moment he opens his mouth, you're like, oh, that's that guy. Of course. But people will be standing there talking to me and then uh, they'll be like something about Jay and I'll be like, well, that's Jay. <laughs> and then he's always like, shut up, don't tell him. <laughs> um, this is, uh, speaking of returning to a character, mm. uh, Trevor Furman. I first was uh, exposed to Trevor's work through Jeff's movie, Now You Know, where he played Biscuit. Mm -hmm. um, and if you ever watch that movie, it, it is, you would not go, oh, I could see how he gets to Elias from here. I could see how Kev looks at that performance and goes, oh, he should be Elias. Particularly because the version of Elias that Elias became wasn't even the one on the page. Trevor, I just loved him so much in Jeff's movie. I was like, well, he can act. He, I'm sure he can pull this off. And that character we found like three days into rehearsal when, when Trevor asked, when Trevor delivered a line, asked as a question. <laughs> like it was a statement, but it had a question mark at the end of it. And suddenly we were all like, that's it. He's so uncertain of himself <laughs> that even if he's declaring, it's like, I love God. You know, he just has to go up to leave room for error. And thus, Elias was born. Just like at the end of Clerks 2, when I saw what we could do with Randall, where we scratched the cynic and found the optimist underneath. I was like, oh, my God, I want to do a whole movie about that moment. And that's where Clerks 3 comes from. Um, ever since Clerks 2, I was like, I cannot wait to fucking 
bring Elias back. He was in the other version, as we said before. He became a kite killer by the end of the movie. <laughs> and a conservative media... A mo- cons- make, sure, make sure you pronounce that, what you just said, very carefully. Kite killer? <laughs> yes. Um, I remember he became sure. a media darling at the end, too. He was invited on to all the conservative talk shows and stuff because he was way into <laughs> yeah. Jesus. And, he's like, and he also punished guilty people with his own hands and stuff. Um, you, uh, you also recreated... Elias the second time on this movie. So on the first movie, Elias is written one way, but Trevor's delivery turned him into the character that he is. In essence, he did the job that every actor dreams of doing and and some accomplish. They take... (laughs) That's that's what I'm sure uh, Streep was thinking when she saw the donkey scene. Like, oh, if only one day. (laughs) As a Jersey girl, she herself. Uh, Basically, he did the job, which is uh, you take the material and you elevate it. So it was fine on the page. It sings under the actual performance uh, uh, as Trevor breathes life into it. So as we get to Clerks 3... Everything that's that's in the script was always in the script. Uh, dialogue wasn't changed or added. But there was one line in the screen description where after he sells his soul to the devil, as he did in the previous scene, next time he goes to Quick Stop, it said, Elias wear, now wears a heavy metal T-shirt. And so that was the implication that, like, that's it. And for the rest of the script, maybe it mentioned another metal T. But it was just about, like, the, the only implication or indication visually that Elias changed was he started wearing, like, fucking metal T-shirts or something. And so we're in rehearsals, and at one point, uh, uh, Trevor goes, um, hey, in the end scene, can I uh, have a cane and wear a cape? <laughs> and I was like, come again? And he's like, well, because I've become a Satanist, and since it's the funeral and people would dress up, like, I feel like I could get away with a cape. And like I could have a cane, and I was like, "Well, I, I love that, but we got to earn it. How do we get there?" And so, Elias's whole look, the wardrobe changes, the the makeup, the hair and makeup, everything that him and Blockchain do, was born in like the last three days before we shot the movie. Yeah, and I had yeah, to go. Or to the- even during, even during, like Ali was like. Two weeks into shooting, she was still getting costumes, cobbling costumes together. Allie, our, and they were still doing in the amazing wardrobe uh, uh, costume woman, uh, the, the lady in charge of putting clothes on all of us and stuff. She had a big old truck that she brings to all the shows that just has wardrobe on it, even if it ain't for your show. Some of that like totally came in handy as she suddenly had to cobble together. Honestly, 19, 20 different outfits. Mm. Because unlike Clerks or Clerks 2, which take place over the span of a day, Clerks 3 tracks time. So every day there's a new outfit. So with the boys, like with Randall, a year in advance, I was designing T-shirts with Captain Ribman and with uh, with Dark Nate. So that, like, you know, every scene there would be a different fucking cool T-shirt and stuff like that. Um that that plan i've been working on it for a fucking year at the last minute i turned around to ali and was like he him not just trevor but austin need to be in different outfits 
every scene from this moment forward in order for no us pressure yeah and, yeah, and, and also she and, was like why and, and i was like so he can have a cane and a cape <laughs> in the last scene <laughs> Yeah, and hair and makeup too. Like they were, so it was just like we were just we just thrust these huge problems on these uh, really funny creative people. That's true, Fiona. And they just figured it out. Sasha yeah. and hair and makeup folks, you know, it, it was at one point Fiona's like, "What? Well, you know, what do we do? What what looks should we do?" And I was like, "Literally, do anything you want." And so, like every day, I'd come in. And she was like. We're gonna do them as playing cards, and I was like, "Oh, of course! Why wouldn't you?" <laughs> you know. And then, like one day, somebody was just like, "Trevor wants to wear uh, the wig that like Daryl Hannah wore." No, and... no, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta pause. Do you. This it. is how that. Went. How did that happen? <laughs> Sasha was putting my eye makeup on, and for whatever reason, like it was smudgy in a way that reminded me of like that streak of black that goes across Daryl Hannah's eyes in Blade Runner. Right. And I was like, oh, we should do a Pris look. And immediately Fiona was like, no, <laughs> we're already doing 40 yeah. new looks. Like, please stop. Yeah. Our shoot and date then... was originally a month. And by the time we got Trevor's <laughs> yeah. wardrobe, it was eight months. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to ask Kevin. And I went the next time I went up to the set, I was like, Kevin, can I do a Pris look? And you just went, only if you get the wig. <laughs> 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 he did get the wig. Uh, and then we were like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. And then Angie, yeah, Angie found one. She got, she had it overnight delivered. And yeah, that was like sort of the tent. The other thing I kind of like about how <laughs> improvisational sort of a lot of these outfits were is that that's sort of accidentally correct, right? It's like, that's how Elias would be doing it as he's like figuring himself out. <laughs> yes. yeah. Pulling it together. They wouldn't be, because when you look at the costumes, they're like, they're almost there. Like Allie, you yeah. know, didn't Allie didn't make you like Vanity Fair ready. She right. made it look like a guy who was figuring himself out. And what this was never the intention, but like, you know, you you start telling one story, and as you make the movie and edit the movie, you f figure out other stories. I I honestly feel like Elias is a coming out story throughout yeah, all sure. of Clerks Three, where he, you know, abandons like what he was given in youth and starts to find himself. And, you know, his idea of Satanism is just hot couture. <laughs> it's just yeah. fashion. <laughs> but well, it's, it's very, his very first idea of what it means to be the devil's concubine is shopping at Hot Topic. <laughs> it's like, that's just what he's wanted to do for decades. Yes, like, so many sermons did he sit through where, where a reverend was just like, and this Hot Topic of the mall. Maybe that could be group. an extra scene. There is, <laughs> hell is the hottest topic of all. That would be a great fucking scene. Just go to the mall and shoot him, looking up at a hot topic. It's like walking back and forth. to go in. Yes. He's like <laughs> stalking it like a, yeah. like a wild animal. But you have to like show him as a young child going by there and sort of looking at it longingly yeah. while his mother drags him away. him away. That's where the bad boys shop, yeah. Elias. One day. We're still, we're waiting once the movie's been out and uh, obviously you've now, you're watching this DVD, you're, you're seeing it, Blu-ray. Uh, seeing him at a con and someone cosplaying Elias in any of those forms. That's what we're sitting on our edge going like, oh, Trevor, wait. You see, you'll see. They'll come up and you'll be like, holy cow. I can't wait, and, to, uh, I can't be wait to hear from King Diamond because we flat out stole his face paint <laughs> for the last scene. Like the last, well, not the last scene, but uh, in the hospital scene. Um, it, Elias is wearing like the full face paint that's one step away from King Diamond. Like, you know, it started with a King Diamond shirt 
And that was another one of those discussions like, oh, I wonder if we can get to the full face paint. It's like, yeah, we got there. <laughs> Surprisingly fast. The, um, uh, the, the newest member to our party, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Mew's not here right now. I should uh, speak up on his behalf. Uh, this is exactly what happened before I left to come to the record. I got a phone call. Uh, Jason never calls me, so I, I, I saw the message. I, I called him back. I said, what's up? He goes, hey, uh, Jordan just told me there's a record today. And I said, yeah, we're doing the comic cherry track. He goes, all right, well, like, I didn't know. And so, you know, when I don't know about things, I get real shitty. But, like, if you want me to come, I'll come for you. But I just want you to know I'm probably going to be shitty the whole time. And I was like, stay home maybe? And he's like, thanks, man. So... He's... Fuck, if I knew that's all it took. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you just got to give a threat of being shitty, a veiled threat of like, oh, I'll come, but it'll be the worst idea. What um, if I get shitty from here on out? Can I leave? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Almost halfway through this fucker. Uh, we're a third of the way through, kids. A third of the way through the adventure right now. Um, so Jason Muse is not here, but Austin Zazier is here, ladies and gentlemen. And Austin... Um, I worked with uh, first on a little uh, short com that we did on TBS during the pandemic. At one point, we were literally the only sitcom shooting in town called Sun and Lockdown for this TBS game show called uh, Celebrity Show Off. Austin had just moved in with us uh, at the house with Harley. Austin, Austin's been dating Harley how long now? Three years. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> this is good, a good, fast answer. Coming up she, on September 6th. There you go. And you know today's, because if she hears the commentary track and you didn't spit the date out I right know, away. She'd be like, oh. Yeah, be like, oh, maybe one of us likes the other one more than the other. You'd have to deal with that. <laughs> so, Austin was uh, absolutely uh, adorable and wonderful to work with in, in Son of Lockdown. And the only reason we got Son of Lockdown to do was because since Austin moved in, I was like, oh, that's a fun premise. We can do a whole thing. And we got to do a family show. I got to shoot with the kid and with uh, Jen and with uh, Jen's parents even. And I stuff. feel Man like there may have been a little weird truth to uh, the premise of the show when I moved into the house, though. N not at all. You were so not that character. Like, in the Sun and Lockdown, he's kind of, like, obnoxious. And Austin was such a sweet fucking But I did kid. move into your house. You did. That part was true. That part was true. I'm like, true. what is this guy thinking? But I was just like, look, he'll keep the kid occupied. That's good. You yeah. know, so that was good for me. It wasn't a bad thing. So... I loved working with him, and then when I was writing Clerks 3, I was like, oh, I'm totally fucking writing him into it. And so I wrote the character of uh, Blockchain Coltrane, uh, who is essentially uh, Silent Bob to Elias in, in this movie, as, as Randall points out at one point. When did you have the idea to make him a silent character, a Silent Bob type you character? You were there, because originally he was a sidekick, more like you and Dante and Randall. Like, he would talk yeah. to Elias and everybody else. And we're in rehearsals. We did rehearsals for a couple weeks in New Jersey, or a week maybe. Was it more than one week? Or uh, yeah, it was just a few days, I guess. Five a few days. days. Five days of rehearsal, um, where we just read the script from top to bottom and stuff. And so as we were doing the rehearsals, I would listen to uh, Austin's lines. And it wasn't Austin's delivery. Austin was great. He just didn't have anything all that funny to say. That's the fault of the writer. And so I'm sitting there going, fuck, if he's not, like, funny and he's the new guy, they're all going to fucking kick him. Like, they're going to, not not the cast, but the audience going to be like, why is that guy there? Fucking if he's not as funny as the resume and shit. Like, that's a, it's hard to join the party this late. And I felt like I was setting him up for failure by giving him some weak-ass dialogue. Oh, no, so, every day. It's, it started me being in, like, maybe two scenes. Right. Then the next day, I was in 
seven scenes. And the next day, I was in like 19 scenes with the same amount of dialogue. And I was like, <laughs> what the? I was, I was just like, D we hadn't talked about any sort of character. And I was calling no. Harley, being like, I don't fucking know about this, man. Like, <laughs> I, I think your dad, like, I. I don't know if he knows that I'm cons I don't know. So I was very happy when you were like, uh, I think that we should just throw you in some scenes. You'll be like the the silent Bob, you know what I mean? I, I was so terrified to tell you that, like, I'm going to take your dialogue away because I didn't want you to think, like, oh, my God, he thinks I suck as an actor. Because it wasn't that at all. It was like, I think I sucked as I a writer. I kept telling him that, but he 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 defended you. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it, to me, it just became clear. I was like, it'll be great. Like, you know, it's not like it wasn't the most original idea. I did it before with Silent Bob, and I was like, oh, if he says nothing the whole movie, and at the end he finally says something, that'll have a big impact. And also, you're you're just fucking adorable to begin with. Look at you, look at you right there. <laughs> like you're looking up, you're making all the eye contact. It helps that you got all that that uh, guy line around and shit like that. But you standing next to him, just being his like adoring fucking pal like made the most sense to me and so I, I told Austin I was like hey man I'm gonna, this ain't you but I'm gonna take the dialogue away and I think this is a good thing you didn't talk at the end of the movie but like you're gonna do more of a Silent Bob thing and at first were you like you fucking prick like were you were you scared that like you sucked or were you mad at me for taking oh no I, I was at, I was a, a hint of both because I was like, oh, he wrote me all these lines. But the whole time I was like, I don't fucking want to do it. Say all these lines <laughs> in this movie and take all this heat for this. And the, you sound a lot like me. <laughs> and, yeah. and originally I, I used to be like, oh, well, like blockchain is just like, it's a parallel to Jay and Silent Bob yes. in a way. So I was like already like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And the character before was just would li have literally been me doing an impression of Trevor the whole time. Right. So I would have been like, who the fuck's this kid doing this impression of Trevor beside him? So I'm I'm happy about it. I fell in love with the notion of you whispering to him all yeah. the time. Yeah. When, when Trevor, there, there's one point where he whispers to him and, and, and Trevor starts laughing. He's like, you're killing me this morning. <laughs> Something to that effect. And just, that, that line always makes me chuckle. And it makes you wonder, it's like, what is, when nobody's around, will he just talk out loud? Yeah, when he's still like, <laughs> yeah. It does. It like makes their relationship and friendship or whatever it is like ex really intriguing. Like, what? Where did they meet? How did they? You know, I know exactly how things. they meet. I wrote a comic book about it. Quick stops issue three details the meeting oh. of Elias and, and Blockchain, and it's adorable. Um, yeah, man, you kidding? I love like, writing all these characters, and it's like I can't make a whole movie about it, but I can make a whole whole ass comic book about it. Um, when um, when you guys uh, fell into your uh, respective Jay and Silent Bob uh, type roles. Did you find yourselves uh, hanging out on set? Was he your buddy? I was on. I was working all the time, so I don't know what the relationships were. Yeah, for sure. I I uh, I have a very natural chemistry with Trevor. I feel. Do you feel the same way, Trevor? No. Um, but I, have, <laughs> I was trying to set him up. I have that. It's. I have that. You know. I have that kind of chemistry with everyone. It's called uh, charisma. Um, <laughs> I, this is how charismatic Trevor was. So here's Austin, who's like, I want to be an actor. And here's Trevor, who's like, acting sucks, kid. Do something real. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, sure. No, I, for real, though, I, I've always got along from day one really easy with Austin. I love, I love you, man. You're, you're a good friend. Um, what, uh, what, let's talk about your uh, relationship with acting, too, because you didn't act since fucking Clerks 2. And at the end of this movie, I said, don't wait another fucking 16 years, man. You're so brilliant. Act more. And he was like, I'll do it if you do it. Um, what is, what is, what's, uh, what's with you in acting? 
You know, I never intended on doing it professionally in the first place. How did you get into it? In. I, yeah, I'll give you the real thumbnail sketch version. I, I grew up in Minnesota doing theater, and I really liked doing that. But my plan was never to be a, a professional actor. I ended up getting an audition for an NBC TV show that was, it had some famous people in it, and probably most, most notably Nathan Lane. And the summer before my senior year, they were just like, you're moving to California. And I was like, okay. And so I did, I did show business for maybe five or six years. And then I'd actually, basically I'd quit. Uh, so I'd, when, when I was actively pursuing it, I did the movie with Jeff, now you know, and then I'd quit. And then about a year, six months to a year later, that's when you called me to do Clerks too. So I was already in college, just like not doing it. And then uh, after Clerks 2 came out, I kind of gave it another like uh, half-hearted attempt, but I, I just hate LA. I don't like show business. I don't like, uh, I don't like it at all. So I, I was really miserable the, in the five or six years that I was doing it. And the moment I started going to college, I was like, oh, this is just, I'm just not supposed to be there. Um, it's good for me, man, because it's just I, it means I put you in a box and, and then pick you up off the shelf after ten years, and you're ready to go. And I don't have to be like, oh fuck, he became famous with somebody else. I can't get him in my movie anymore. Um, it's so interesting to me, like, because both like you, everyone here in this room, but but the two of you, like Brian, wants to act and has always wanted to act. But the two of you guys are like these backdoor actors, which sounds exactly as sexy as that. <laughs> We're both like, you know, like, yeah, acting's all right. But you're so damn fucking well, good at it. I'm different a little bit. I, I definitely, the Venn diagram has some overlap between me and Jeff, but I really love performing. So that, that aspect of it, and especially with people like you guys that I like and are really funny, that part is so much fun to me. It's everything else that I hate. It's like the premieres yeah. and the publicists and the auditions and the agents and the managers and blah, 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 blah. I, uh, right? Like, it's not for me. I honestly think the best actors aren't acting because it's just this industry is so insane to right. to be Beats an actor. Just, yeah, it's... It's crazy. <laughs> I remember I remember one day Austin and I were sitting next to each other in the Smod Castle waiting for like a shot or something. And it was toward the end of the shoot. Maybe we had like a week left. And Austin turned to me and he was like, So you're just like not worried at all about like getting another role after this. And I was like, Nope, good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's gotta be freedom to that though. Although I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna hold sure. you to this, Trevor. You said one day that if I made a movie, you'd be in it. So I'm gonna hold okay. you to that on this thing. Anytime. Uh, that's the way to be. Speaking of wonderful actors, uh, there's Rosaria Dawson, uh, ladies and gentlemen, who has a bigger role in this than she ever would have had in the other Clerks 3. If you remember, she didn't appear until, like, the Where Are They Now sequence at the end where she came back as Dante and Becky's daughter, Leah, who was uh, the first female goalie in the NHL and she was a goalie for the for the New Jersey Devils. And so we would cut to her at the end and she'd pull off her helmet and it would be Rosario and she would talk about like something about her parents like having she would she was conceived a mere 45 minutes away on a food prep counter or something like that. So at least in this incarnation of Clerks 3 I was smart enough to be like you know, well I guess you can get away with people not being there. You know, that's something I never would have done in fucking clerks, right? People having conversations with people aren't there and stuff. That's something that comes with age when you start losing people and people start dying and you do have conversations with people that aren't there anymore. So suddenly a cinematic trope that has worked for decades, you know, in other movies, I'm like, oh, maybe I can play with that too. And that allows us to bring Rosario back um, 
and use her effectively because getting her for a whole movie again, like we did in Clerks 2, would have been absolutely impossible and a bad ask of a friend. You know, she's fucking Ahsoka now. She's a goddamn Jedi. So she's constantly working. So for me to be like, uh, hey, man, I need you to put aside a month, month and a half to do a Clerks 3 where you're one of the major characters, like the movie probably wouldn't have been able to come together when she got the script and she was like, oh my God, like this is perfect. Like I can totally get this done because we were able to knock her out in what, one and a half day or something like that? She wasn't yep. even there that long. Yep. Came in, dropped science, um, had a blast, was so happy to be there. Such a cheerleader, always is. Just like at the premiere, she was so great, fucking happy to be there. I didn't even expect her to see her. She came up to me at one point in the evening and she started talking about how Clerks 3 was a perfect distillation of Clerks and Clerks 2, like a fan would. Right, right. It was really, she's so wonderful. Uh, so I, she I mean, came just, in and killed just, for us. Just based on that, you would have missed that beautiful scene with Brian and Rosario there at the cemetery. I know, obviously, I'd read the script. Um, I'm not there. I wasn't there for shooting that day because Randall's not in the scene. But I remember the first time um, you screened the film for me, uh, it was at your house, and I was just looking at it on a laptop, and I, I hadn't seen that scene. And to me, that was the first, in my mind, it's the first real powerful scene of the movie. It's, it's where we finally find out what happened with our, uh, Brian and Rosario are just awesome in that scene. And, and, and I remember when I watched it at your house, I was tearing up. Yeah. And, and the way you had the, the, the laptop set up in the bathroom that I could sort of see off 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 a ways there was tissue box there and I ran and got the tissue box and I kind of dabbed at my eyes and you were like yeah I didn't know if I should put the tissue box out if that was being a little presumptuous so I kind of just <laughs> left it in your sight <laughs> it's true. I, I definitely needed it you don't want to be like hey man you're gonna need this but I'm like I, I, I better keep them nearby um yeah it, it, well if you remember on clerks too that was when you bought into the movie wholeheartedly. Like first day, I think we did Brian and Rosario in the back office yeah, and the nail painting scene and stuff like that. And I remember that night I cut it together. So when we came into work the next day, I was like, oh, come watch. And mm. Jeff came and watched the scene and was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, they're really great. Like this, this could work. Like that was the moment where you were suddenly like, this movie might actually be a thing. Yeah, uh, just as Brian and I have great chemistry, Brian and Rosario have great chemistry. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a testament to Rosario, who's this massive star, but can somehow come down and play with us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they really make things work. What was it like working with Road Dog again, my friend? She uh, clearly she brought out the best in you. Yeah, she always brings out the best in anybody that she works with. So seeing her again and just having uh, those characters connect the way that they did and the scene being so raw and so touching and poignant and seeing what the, the feelings were, you just uh, it didn't take hard for me as an actor to dig deep to get to that point of missing someone as, as awesome as her character was and who she is as a person as well. So uh, it's always great. Yes, we only had her on set for two days, uh, but those two days were fucking filled with amazing uh, work out of her. Uh, there were other scenes that were, that were shot as well that were just so good. And uh, she's so fun on set. So, you know, as much as we, uh, she gave us uh, really some... Uh, literally flew in and flew out and gave us the maximum amount of minutes down to the minutes that we could have her she uh, spun gold every day yeah she's she's a wonder man
the uh, the this sequence here. This is the first Avenue Playhouse where we auditioned for Clerks uh, back in 1992, 93. Um, Brian stood on that stage. Jeff stood on that stage. Marilyn stood on that stage. Um, some of the other smaller parts from uh, Clerks, day players and stuff, stood on the stage. That. The magic of this movie is, uh, you know, we just went through a big old cameo sequence where you saw all the famous people that I knew who were available that week to be in the movie and stuff, like Ben and Sarah and Fred Armisen and stuff. Real cool cameos. And that was the only place that would have made sense in this movie as they're auditioning for the movie. It's like, oh, here's some fucking famous faces. It'll make it fun to look at. <laughs> but for me, the real gold cameos in this movie, like fucking top shelf, there's Pris right there. Um, <laughs> the top shelf cameos are the people who were in Clerks, like you know Thomas Burke, yeah. who plays the roofer, um, Kim Garby, who was uh, Heather Jones, Ernie O'Donnell, who is the fucking trainer. Now, if we had shot this movie out in California, like we shot Clerks too, I would not have. It would have been cost prohibitive to be like, let's fly Kim out. For one scene, like, they'd be like, you got to pick your battles, man. And, like, you'd leave all those day players behind. But when you watch the movie, once we get into the making of section, which is coming fairly soon, seeing all those people come back, A, seeing that they're alive, B, seeing how they've aged or not aged, and C, just being like, what a meta mind fuck this is made it worth its weight in gold to shoot in New Jersey. This is the first movie that I've ever shot entirely in New Jersey since the first movie, since Clerks. Wow. And it gave us access to all those, like, amazing cameos, which, you know, for most people, like, you couldn't put that, you know, on a poster. Yeah. Be like, Kim Garby! But, like, people who know the movie are like, oh, that's the girl who was there when he got the ticket. That's little Heather Jones and Alyssa's sister and shit like that. And wasn't it amazing how good they all were? I mean, they came in, you would never know most of these people haven't acted their whole lives. They came in and would literally nail scenes in one or two takes. It, it was really amazing when to watch. It's true. Scott, when, Scott said, when Scott talks about his powers of stagecraft, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he laugh every time. Which I was so delighted, like, when we started showing the movie, you know, you're, you're like, I, I'm always right. Like, when we start having public exhibition, I'm like, all right, what works? What are the funny lines? I know what's funny to me. I know what's, like, the lines that I think are, oh, that's a clever line. And then lines where I was like, I think this will legit make people, like, laugh out loud. And that wound up being, what was the moment you just said, Trev? Scott uh, Shopper. I use my Shopper. powers of stagecraft. Yes. And then he's like, it's method. Yes. <laughs> like, really angry. It got a big, at the premiere, it got a really good laugh where I was like, fucking A. I mean, I was happy for Scott, but I was happier for me, the storyteller, where I was like, right on, man. Like, it worked. It was fun. Like, we got moments in the making of montage where people are using industry terms and shit like that that, that just sounds incongruous <laughs> when Johnny is just like, yo, I'm still pay or play, right? Which was literally the last take out of 26. <laughs> and it was just so magical. You were like, oh, my God, that's how the scene has to end. Um, this is, uh, I, I love this exchange right here um, because it shows the, very quiet, without dialogue, shows this long-running relationship between Randall and Jay and Silent Bob. It's right when he fucking chastises you 
for like, you know, no, we sold drugs in the front and drugs in the back. Watch your face when we walk away. It, it's magic to me. You're like, fuck it. <laughs> like, it's just all the familiarity is like, I can't believe these, these fuckers idiots. are still here. And then you go back to the conversation. Oh, I fucking love it. Um, and this, I didn't tell you to do when you do this and you, you go like, I found some, I just sent the script to someone who will be absolutely perfect for Veronica. I love it where you're like, I didn't have to tell you to do this. <laughs> I love when you make choices. <laughs> I made a hand motion. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was another hand motion that you made in the movie which delighted me no end. And it comes up later on when, when we're actually, when the boys are shooting Inconvenience. Um, I, when I'm on set, uh, I tend to like rock back and forth and, and do this mid conversation. Um, so I, you know, we're not on camera. You're yeah, saying, I know. Do this. I'm showing you guys. Um, I, how would I describe it? I rock from one foot snap to the other, rock. and I snap. I snap rock. And Josh Roush is always like, that's Kev's impatient dance. And I'm like, it has nothing to do with impatience. That is my I'm getting everything I want dance. Like, if it's me trying to contain my enthusiasm for like, holy shit, it's all working. Mm. So there's one take uh, where we were shooting as uh, Randall, the burgeoning filmmaker, um, is talking about uh, his script. And in the middle of it, all of a sudden, Jeff starts shifting from foot to foot and snapping. And I, I felt so, like, seen in that moment. I was like, oh, my God, man, that is directing right there. Um, a lovely little homage. I love that the flick is so up its own ass, naturally. It's a very meta movie and stuff. Um, but I love how devoted to movies it is. That's something that Clerks was not. Clerks talked about movies. Um, but this movie is made by a guy who spent the last 30 years making movies. That became his fucking life. So when y'all start making the flick itself, it's so fucking heartwarming for me because, you know, I, they, the characters lived my life in the first one. And then the characters didn't really live my life in the second one, but they're definitely living my life in the third one and letting them have the experience that they let me have. You know, like, it was inevitable that they would make a movie at Quick Stop because I made a movie at Quick Stop. It just took them 30 years longer than it took me. to And, and an inciting incident to be like, wait a second, like, my story's worth something. Um, I was so happy that that became the spine of the movie. Um, and when I started telling the kids about it, like, I remember telling Brian about it, and then I talked to Jeff about it when we did the signing. Um, where we hadn't seen each other a while with the Lilu multi-prop signing. And, the, you know, my soft pitch was, was a hard pitch, which was just like, uh, Randall has a heart attack. And Jeff's like, where'd you get that idea? <laughs> I was like, but they wait for it. Then he makes, then they decide to make clerks. And that was He's like, where'd you get that idea? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but both of you were just like, oh, I like that. I'm in. Um, and it was delightful, man, because then I knew we were going to be able to make this movie that I knew was going to be about grief because both incarnations of Clerks 3 were, are about grief and dealing with grief. And I don't know why. I, I, you know, maybe because I lost my dad. I, I don't know. But that, that, the melancholy that kind of pervades this movie, even in the highest moments when they're enjoying making the flick, is I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it comes from like almost dying. I'm not sure, but like it was definitely something I was interested in talking about. 
uh, this time over and over again, obviously. Well, it's, it's like we discussed. There, there was a previous script of it, and then you sort of had the idea for this. Um, the time that we did get together and we were doing the signing, mm. your enthusiasm for this story was much greater than it was for the past script. You're absolutely maybe right. Maybe you were coming in with the last script, you know, lowballing it or, or however you want to say it, just sort of trying to sneak it in there. But your enthusiasm for this was much more infectious. It was like, well, he's really jazzed about this. I, I'm he thinks it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right, because the first one, and I think it comes down to the first one is, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's contrived. It's artifice. It's like... None of it happened except right. Hurricane Sandy. Hurricane Sandy didn't even affect Quick Stop. <laughs> so even that is a, a predicated on a lie. This one is so, like the original Clerks, is so close to the truth that it's like, oh, I know this will work. And, yeah. like, and, and also knowing that like, it's going to be a huge hook for people if they make Clerks. Right. Like, why are we going back for a third time? Oh, they make Clerks this time? All right, this I got to see. And we, all we need to do is get them in the door. Because once we get them in the door, then we got something special to give to them that we don't put in the trailers, that we don't tell them in advance, and that they're not expecting because nobody expects to go to a Clerks movie and cry, and like, <laughs> except it, you know, me if it flops. But like, <laughs> this is uh, the, that's the secret weapon of this movie. What I couldn't bring in the way of, like in the first movie, I could be like, hey, snowballing, right? You ever hear of that? That's when you spit cum in a motherfucker's mouth. I know that. And there was no internet and nobody else knew it. So it was a cool thing. Right. Now there's an internet and you can watch fucking Ted Lasso and they curse better than me. You know, like they come up with more inventive shit, more new shit. So I can't bring that tool to the, to the fucking uh, gardening club anymore. <laughs> which, which tool is that? <laughs> the, the tool of cool curse words you've never heard before and con sexual <laughs> concepts that have not been talked about before. Um, so in lieu of that, I brought something else that I, you know, more tools that I've found since I started the job. And uh, giving kids the feels, which sounds bad when you say it out loud, giving people the feels, <laughs> <laughs> that, that became like the paramount mission in this. Like, and feels means laugh, like, and we know we can make them laugh, we've done it before. But really it was the poignancy that I was so fucking dialed in on. Like, I, I, I love this entire movie, but the whole first hour is me just trying to earn the last half hour. Right. The whole first hour is me being, clerks, right? Fucking, this is what you know about it. Hey, they're gonna make clerks and clerks. This is a good time, we're all back. Right. Just so I can earn that last half hour. It's like, I wanna share something with you that like, maybe you'll go with me on this, maybe you won't, but like, Here's here's something real, um, and and seems to be like people went with it. Like even from the trailer, like you could tell the trailer was working with people, and that didn't even hint at what was to come. But I was like, if they like that version of the movie, wait till they see the fucking third act. Yeah, um, yeah, man. It was depth is what we needed on this one more than anything else. We had some in Clerks too. We started going into depth, and by the end of the movie, it's like, oh my god, that's really fucking kind of touching. And that was the note that I just wanted to play for this movie the whole time. But I knew I couldn't do that without alienating a lot of the audience who were like, these movies are supposed to be funny, you fucking stoner. So we tried with the funny. Um, and that's where the making of the movie comes in, man. That shit is absolute fucking gold. I remember sitting at the premiere and watching it play and every beat hits like in, in a way where I wasn't even expecting it to. I thought it'd be like, oh, they'll smile throughout this, but they're fucking legit laughing. It worked out, man. We earned it, kids. Well done, everybody. Um, okay. I'm on the record. Go ahead, you. I'm on the record as, I was just going to say, I, I really liked, I mean, I like this version of Clerks 3 as well, but I really liked the first script. And 
I feel like I'm the last person defending it. Yeah, because Elias got to be Sometimes. the fucking hero. Yeah. Of course you love it. Yeah, that's true. He was a kite that's true. killer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we did a reading of it in uh, yeah. at the First Avenue Playhouse for as a benefit for, it was Mikey Bellicose. I just want to point out Mike Bellicose, uh, uh, who was originally supposed to be Silent Bob and Clerks, is standing next to his daughter, huh. Sarah Bellicose, um, who works at Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash. But even little moments like that is just like, you know, there's a poignancy to like, oh, the fucking in a row guy's back and he's got a kid. This guy has not aged. Joe that, Bagnall. That looks like it could be straight out of Clerks. Owner of the First Avenue uh, Playhouse, him and his wife, Donna Jean, who we'll see later on in this montage as well. Um, yeah, they're, they don't, they have had that theater since I was a kid and, and they're still around. They let us come back there and shoot. We did a benefit for them because their roof was leaking or something. And so we did a read of that Clerks 3 script, which uh, we shot and probably put up on that Kevin Smith Club someday or something. But I got to read Randall. Yes. Because I wanted to play Randall in the original Clerks. That's why Randall has all the best jokes. But I was like, I'm no actor. And then I found somebody else who was like, I'm no actor either. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> and forced him to act. This sequence right here um, I, is not... You know, it, it plays very well. It's not like gang busters, like, bust your gut laughing. But it is legitimately what happened. <laughs> and I was so delighted to put it up on fucking screen. This was Jason Mewes while we were trying to shoot the dance sequence outside. There was me next to him. And then there was Dave and Scott. Dave Klein, our DP, and Scott Mosier, our producer, with the boom mic, standing on the, you know, behind camera. And Jay, a uh, guy who, if you know him 10 minutes, pulls his fucking balls out and shows him to you. A guy who spent all of his life dancing around and shit. The one moment I'm like, dance, he's like, I can't do it with all these people watching. And I was like, what are we supposed to do? He's like, have him go in the store. I was like, who's going to run the fucking camera? And Dave was like, I mean, I guess I could press the button and walk away, but it really feels artless. And I was like, it's the only way we're going to get it, man. And so fucking this, this is verbatim kind of what happened. That's my uncle Wayne in the background, my dad's brother. Um, which I love uh, when you're like, uh, he's like, look at this fucking guy. And you're like, he's not even looking. Gee whiz. Every once in a while, you throw in a fucking gee whiz, which takes uh, Randall to like Eddie Haskell country. <laughs> which I absolutely fucking love. Uh, this is uh, the montage. The filmmaking montage has begun already, kids. Uh, it's in three parts. The first part is scored to uh, a, a piece of music from Carmen. Uh, which uh, most people would, who know classical music would think of that way. I think of it as the music from the Bad News Bears, one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> so I use the Bad News Bears music, the Carmen theme, uh, to get us through the opening night of the shoot and takes us to here. Now, in Clerks, uh, this was Stabbing Westward's violent mood swings that Jay and Silent Bob danced to. But, of course, we're all older now, and so I went with the more Yacht Rocky song that uh, <laughs> I loved. And, and I played for the boys when we were in pre-pro, and I was like, I think this is the montage song. And it's Starship's Find Your Way Back. So I had to repeat their opening, you know, kind of a couple times to make that dance work and then have it land uh, here when uh, the drum dun, 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 is going to kick in when we cut to Randall shooting the version of what he sees. This played out exactly as it played out in my head while I was walking, hiking Highlands in pre-production going like, I think I was listening to that song over and over. I was like, I'll come in for this. I'll come in for this. Um, this is, I think, the most joyous part of the movie making montage. And it has everything to do with that song. That song is just has a 
poignancy to it, a sentimentality to it, while still having a kind of bit of a rock beat to it. And, See um, Faye in the background? Faye was oh, our focus puller, and at one point, Faye, like, is leaning forward and putting eyes over his head as if he's focusing. It's <laughs> one of my favorite little beats in the movie, man. I didn't write that bit. He just did that. And going back to uh, the scene outside with Jay dancing, uh, uh, Silent Bob and Jay dancing there, I don't know if you did it purposely or if it's the way it fell with the schedule, but it was the last night of shooting. Yeah. We were shooting you guys out there. And, uh, you know, it, it's always bittersweet to sort of come to the last day of shooting, but there was something really sentimental about having you guys out there dancing as the last scene. And I, I just remember standing there, and I think most of our crew was just standing around watching this. It was a very surreal moment. You guys look just like you did back in 94. He had the moves down, like, exactly. He just kept watching a clip on YouTube over and over again, <laughs> and he fucking did it exactly. I was blown away. But I was like, this is, he's literally fucking replicating it. Yeah, yeah it was kind of sweet, man. It was a nice way to, to go out. I spent a lot of time on that show giving speeches. We probably could have been done three days <laughs> earlier were it not for the fact that, like, I was always like, gather around, people, I have things to say. <laughs> And, and would constantly narrate the movie and shout people out and stuff. Um, this, I thought this played incredibly well. This looks like it's taken from the 90s as well. And Jeff is wearing, he's wearing the fucking the eyeliner. That, and if, that was the first night of Clerks we shot that scene, the original. And uh, Leslie, who is our makeup artist, she kind of put it on a little thick under his eyes, and we were all amateurs, so nobody was like, you know, even though I looked at it, I was like, he looks like a raccoon. I was like, she must know best. <laughs> She's the makeup she artist. She was just obsessed with the cure. <laughs> yes. I remember back in 94 or 93, whatever it was, Lisa and I uh, left the set and went to breakfast that morning, and we went and got breakfast. And it was about three quarters of the way through the breakfast. She was like, you know, you look ridiculous right now with your eyes like that, right? <laughs> our our so makeup artist now. also didn't know to give us some kind of a wipe when we left the set. <laughs> we were all amateurs, kids. We that, didn't know. Oh, I'm sorry. Just That's one of my favorite shots right there where Brian leaves the counter, bends down, and it transitions into Brian and Veronica. Yeah. It, I, I love that shot. It goes from him in color to them in black and white. And it hits lyrically perfect because he's like, uh, I think the lyrics are, I knew it's too late now, but I wish I could go back in time. So he sits like right in back in time. It's, it's the editor thing, kids. Um, this was a joke that I was like, nobody's going to get it. And they put it in the fucking trailer. They were like, everybody knows that you cut the ending where he gets killed. And I was like, is that right? I thought that was inside fucking baseball. Um, this is, uh, of course, uh, you know, the banner uh, that we hung on the, the, the doors. Um, is a very memorable, prominent part of the Clerks mythos. And since we were making a movie where they're essentially making Clerks, I could borrow it and repurpose it in the movie and, and use the excuse that we, that for the flick that we actually, you know, the reason was the reason we hung it up. We were shooting the store, uh, shooting in the store at night, but the movie is set during the day. So you couldn't, you know, shoot at the counter with those steel shutters open. You would see through the windows that clearly it was nighttime. So it was a necessity that we close the steel shutters, put that banner up, and it became like an iconic part of the movie that we got to call back, what, like three times in this movie or something like that? Uh, there's Donna Jean, married to uh, Joe Bagnol, co-owner of the, of the First Avenue Playhouse. And for, you know, if anybody's like, I don't get this scene. Uh, 
Donna Jean, when we were making Clerks, uh, you know, she did the role that she did, and then she was like, you know, I just want you to know, I do an excellent Lucille Ball. And <laughs> In case I was you like, ever need that one day. <laughs> seriously. And I was like, well, I, I, I th that's awesome. How long have you been doing it? She's like, I play her all the time. Could I do her in this movie? And I was like, I, I don't really have a, a place for Lucille Ball. And, and so, you know, it took 30 years, but like when I wrote the script, I reached out to her and I was like, Donna Jean, you still doing Lucille Ball? And she was like, I just did a one woman show. I was like, well, I need you to do it. So she finally got to do her Lucy bit, man. I was happy. This bit right here is legit, man. Like when, when Randall goes like, you left out the word and, if you go watch Clerks, like Brian does literally that. He goes like, yeah, he pan gets frozen, taken away by Boba Fett. And he left out the fucking end. And my whole life, whenever I watched that scene, I was like, how do you leave out the fucking end? So while I'm writing this, I fucking gave it to him to bring up. And for for those who are like, hey man, is that a bash on Seth Rogen? I love Seth Rogen, but he ad libs throughout the entire. As you well know, he's a big oh, really? ad libber. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, so it, the shout out to that was a shout out to him, not a slam on him that is thomas burke's actual son so thomas burke is the roofer i'm a roofer done and ready home improvements i had written a whole different scene that was more based on what had happened when we shot the scene but we were scouting quick stop there's the great scott Schiaffo. um yeah. we were scouting quick stop and thomas burke's kid came in i didn't know who his kid was and he introduced himself he goes oh you made the movie and i was like yeah he's like my father's in that movie i was like who's your father he's like thomas thomas burke and i was like the roofer I was like, we've been looking for this guy. He goes, he lives fucking around the block, man. He's going, I said, I want him to be in the new movie. We're about to start a new movie. He goes, you're making another movie? You want to put him in it? Oh, he'll love that. That's all he fucking talks about. <laughs> he still has the hat. He still has the coat. He's, his whole life is about that scene that he did. He tells stories about it all the time. And I was like, well, you got to come back with him. And so I rewrote the scene to include his fucking kid. His kid's got this amazing fucking chest tattoo. So I was like, can you doff your top and fucking go after him? He's like, fuck yeah. It was amazing. Ernie, you see? Ernie and Kim Lochran. Kevin gave him the feels. I did, all the feels. Um, these two frozen in amber, am I right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I felt the three people came to set made me feel old. Rosario, who is frozen in amber and doesn't age. Yeah. Uh, and these two, like fucking Ernie in black and white. I was like, you fucking look exactly like you did back then. Same as Kim, man. I, I felt mad. I was so glad they were there quickly because I was like, get these young people off the set. This is where the geriatrics are making a movie. Now, I'm sorry, look at Elias. I know, he looks like the nun. <laughs> and sometimes the wardrobe changes are fleeting. Like, cause you're doing a montage, right. and there were there were oh, some yeah. brilliant outfits that get three seconds of screen time. Yeah, the amount of effort that went into making them for like ver like the versus the amount Hours of screen of time they get makeup. is totally unjust. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but worth it for that one moment. We were like, wow, yes. even this scene as well. No, almost the more you throw it away, the funnier it yeah. is. True, <laughs> absolutely true. Um, this uh, we used uh, Gianni's Pizzeria, which uh, cosplayed as movies in Red Bank twice to be our old movies uh, from Buena Park, which does not exist anymore. I mean, number one, it would have been cost prohibitive to go shoot there if it did exist, but they mowed that thing down like shortly after we were done with Clerks 2 and made condos out of it. And they smited that store. Yes, they smited that <laughs> hole. Well done. Um, Derek right up front there, man, uh, who is the guy that did our movies on the road. He made movies happen in real life. And then next to him, the other guy working there was uh, Dark Nate, the guy who does all, a lot of t-shirts in the movie. You saw Kate Micucci back there as our movie. She was in uh, Jane Silent Bob reboot just recently. And this was like our biggest special effect of the whole movie. We brought in a donkey. 
Um, there, that scene originally <laughs> went on longer where Trevor did a loop with the donkey. <laughs> like it went on. It's really funny. We've been, 28 seconds. We've been going to, sorry, we've been going to a lot of these cons and people come up to my table or whatever and they, they ask like tongue in cheek, like, ah, is there a donkey in this one too? And I just have to be like, well. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes, quite frankly, there is. <laughs> Uh, this was, I think, the first thing we shot with Rosario, and I just want to point out, uh, because this kind of thing matters uh, to some people, she's wearing the exact same fucking outfit from Clerks, a.k.a. she still fits in her fucking clothes from Clerks 2. Isn't that nuts? And she was so delighted by it. She was just, like, showing it off, going, like, this is the one from the... She, they got this from your comic book store. I said, that's the original? She said, yeah, they couldn't make a new one, so I'm wearing the original. And I was like, you fit in it? And she was like, why wouldn't I? I was like, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> My body changed in 16 years. Um... The uh, this is the moment where I, I think that's a lovely cut right there too. Where yeah, you think she's awesome. gonna pick it up? Yeah. I, I, sometimes I like the editor Kev Smith. He does a good job. <laughs> um, this is where we start realizing a little bit, like, um, and it, it kind of mirrors Randall's attitude in the movie. Up until now, the filmmaker wants you to believe that this is Randall's movie. Randall takes charge. Randall's like, I want to do this. It's Randall's heart attack and whatnot. But right now is where we start slipping into you figuring out that, oh, it's not just Randall's movie. It's Dante's story. And that mirrors the storyline that kind of runs throughout. Multiple times, you know, it's, it's so ham-fisted you couldn't fucking miss it. But multiple times there are moments where Randall has this argument about, like, people are like, this is my life. And he's like, it's my life. Um, when you're uh, a, a storyteller, an artist, a would-be entertainer like me, um, who makes uh, very uncreative flicks. I'm not like, uh, you know, fucking uh, David Cronenberg, where he's like, some motherfucker has a lung that's a video game action, you know. Um, I'm the guy that's like, what did I do yesterday? All right, that, but with different names. So, so over the course of a lifetime, you borrow, you or let's flat out say it, you steal from other people. Like some of the things that happened to my characters never happened to me. There's stories that other people have told me. Clerk's cartoon reference right there, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so to, um, to, ha to, to kind of work that into the script, to have Randall be faced with the notion that like, or, you know, somebody kind of pointing it out to him, um, that, you know, artists have their head up their own asses. Like they're so incredibly fucking selfish. I always think of it as my life, and I share it with so many people. What do they think of it as? Do they think of it as my life as well? No, they think of it as their life. But when you're the storyteller, you're the show. And I, I thought it was important to stick that onto Randall because that has happened to me um, from time to time. Uh, there's, I wouldn't say, you know, Scott Mosier pops up very briefly in our montage. He comes back as Will and Black, the great Scott Mosier was there with us for Clerks 1 and Clerks 2. Um, and I would say that this moment and, and that whole me, me, me of Randall is a tiny reflection of like in moments, arguments that we had had in the past. Mosier is such a humanist, mm. as we all know, such a real person and stuff. And I'm a creature of artifice and entertainment at, that, at a certain point and have been a spoiled child for most of my career because I was rewarded back in 1994 by, for, for taking my life, doing a fictionalized version of it. And people are like, here's a fucking career. What's next? So talk about fucking like white privilege. Jesus. Go, so, go in, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go, go. Um, going back to that um, scene of us in the uh, cooler there. Yeah. Um, it, it, it takes me to one of my favorite parts of my 
uh, remembering doing Clerks 3 is uh, we came out of that cooler scene and you were extra snappy. You were going back and forth and extra snappy and I just looked at you and you went, I love it when they fight. <laughs> I do. I, like, I remember when we first showed the movie, somebody was just like, I hate that they fought. And I'm like, they always fight. I was like, I hate to admit it, break it to you, but like, there's a formula to these Clerks pictures and they always got to have a fucking fight in the third act. The difference this time, though, is that, you know, it's, the movie's meant to remind you that, like, tomorrow's not promised. So is that fight worth it? Because that might be the last conversation that y'all have. This I liked very much. I didn't know about I would be doing this in pre, but, like, when we got to the shoot, I was like, this will work really well if I keep jumping into color for Brian, for Dante to be living the moment as opposed to doing the dialogue. And I hoped, I was. I always felt like, well, I think hardcore fans of Clerks will fucking get what's going on here. And it does play incredibly well. Talk about playing incredibly well. Um, we're rehearsing, I'll never forget this. We're rehearsing on this picture. And, um, you know, uh, is five days of rehearsal. And we all have our scripts open and stuff, uh, reading, because no, nobody's really off book. And this is the very first rehearsal. And as we got within maybe a page and a half of this moment of the big monologue, quiet, subtle, not big. Everyone else faces in their scripts. I don't know if they noticed, but I, oh, out of the corner of my eye, I saw Brian close his script. And right then and there, I was like, oh, we're in for some fucking magic. He had memorized the whole fucking thing and in rehearsal dropped a performance that's about 80% of what you're seeing right here. And mind you, we were just sitting around reading the script. And suddenly my guy comes in and acts uh, and cleans up in the room and all of us were fucking dumbfounded and speechless and like, holy shit, we got it. Like, this is fucking good, man. It was a magical moment. And then on set, you only fucking did better. How many takes we do of this? Uh, I think we did uh, three in total. And the third one was just, let's just have a safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I th primarily cut from the first take, if I remember correctly, as the editor. Um, powerful, powerful shit, man. And a swan song fucking moment. You know, we know what's coming after this. So I had to do Bry right. If Dante is going to exit stage, you know, left, he had to, he had to, say it all he had to say something big and boy did you rise to the fucking occasion man well done captain thank you sir that credits is heartbreaking where fuck you and oh by the way fuck you credits oh so fucking i i do love when they fight <laughs> I, I mean i like making comedy don't get me wrong but like my heart lies in drama and i love seeing people you know, fucking express themselves finally and get it out there and clear the air and whatnot. You know, I'm not I'm not physical fighting guy. I'm like the, the you know, the fucking chit-chat fighting guy. I don't want to get hurt. It would have been cool if they busted into a kung fu battle, though. That, well, we did that in the first Clerks, remember? It starts with them physically fighting, and then they just have an argument afterwards. But the fight is so ridiculous. It was like the... You know, like the fight that me and Ernie had in high school, where nobody's connected punches, more just pulling shit and whatnot. I like the fact that uh, you had Silent Bob like move the microphone away and pull down the camera. It was a good, good Silent yeah, Bob. It was moment. kind of at first. At first, he turns the camera on because he's like, "What the fuck's <laughs> happening over here?" But then he kind of takes it all away because he's like, "Something real is happening here." Um, yeah, it is, uh, this is, uh, some incredibly powerful shit, man. There's another moment we kind of rolled by Marilyn, of course, Gigliotti in the movie returns as, as, uh, uh, Veronica. 
And uh, that part, like, I wrote, and it was very easy to cut. Like, if it didn't, you know, propel the story forward in the editing room, things could come out. I figured this would give Marilyn a chance to come act and stuff, but it's not guaranteed to be in the movie. Easy to lift out completely. And Marilyn came to set and gave us a performance so fucking good that I was like, you just nailed that fucking scene into the movie. Whether it's essential to the story or not, that piece of acting made it essential to this fucking movie. It's going to stay. And it reminded me of young Marilyn, which came into audition uh, on Clerks and fucking cried. You know, she was reading some monologue and she started crying. And me and Walter Flanagan and uh, and Vincent Prayer were like, oh my God, how does a human just cry like that? That's the most impressive acting I've ever seen. Well, I've been around kids and I've seen impressive acting over the course of 30 years. And I'm here to tell you that I was doubly impressed by Marilyn's acting uh, when she came back that uh, and that night and dropped that performance. All you kids just rose to the occasion, man. And I know some school of thought would be like, well, they've been playing the fucking parts for like three times or more. They should be able to do it. But this was not the same movie. I didn't ask any of them to come back and do what they did before. Yes, there are moments where we come back and do exactly what we did before. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of in service of the joke and the story. These cats all came back and did different things than they had previously. One of my favorite things about this movie is watching the characters of the View of Universe grieve, because that's something we've never really done before. I, I dealt with a little bit of grief in Jersey Girl, but that's always unconnected to these Vius Universe movies. Even when Julie Dwyer died in the first one, there's no real grief. It's just like, I, I'm fucking mad I'm not invited to the funeral more than anything else. But this, you actually see how they deal with loss. And, you know, that's, I know some people are like, well, why? Why is that the movie? Because that's, that's what you need. You need to be reminded. You know, sometimes we get our so caught up in doing what we do and we think we got all the time in the world and take it from Dante and Randall, we don't. This movie is a movie of a tale of two heart attacks, essentially. By the time we get to this point in the movie, it's easy to talk about. Obviously, you know, it's uh, waiting in store for, for Dante. And it's predicated on, ever since I had my heart attack, um, I'm, I'm like Randall, where Randall goes, I had a heart attack. Uh, he just had a heart attack. I had one. He'll be fine. I lived an experience where I went into a hospital, came out 30 six hours later and was good as fucking new and went right back to work and like fucking I started going vegan changed my life but there was no trauma wasn't that distressing Mm. distressed everyone else in my life and me I kind of like I came up with anecdotes out of it and shit now ever since then I meet people all the time who are like oh my god I'm so glad you lived through that heart attack my mom had that same heart attack the widow maker and I'm like how's she doing they're like she died Mm. Uh, my brother had your heart attack how's he doing he died I meet a lot of people who lost a lot of people to the same exact heart attack as I had. And it's a weird notion because I'm like, but how? They fucking saved my ass. Like, how do they not? Um, and it's, it's a, you know, I'm, it's certainly not like survivor's guilt, but it is a weird thing where you're like, why, why me? Um, one of my favorite moments in this movie, and it's so crimson and so fucking horrible, but it's later on when Jen comes in as Emma mm. and she says, she like literally says to Randall where she's just like, I heard you had a heart attack. Mm. Is that right? And then Randall, and it's such a great, he doesn't even respond. He just gives her like, fuck you, look. And she goes, that must really fuck with your head. Dante's dead and you're still here. It's such a great delivery of that line too. So mean and so like cutting right to the fucking quick and shit. But that is something that, uh, you know, it doesn't fucking make my day hard to do. But every once in a while I'm faced with the notion that I'm luckier than even I'm aware of. 
And believe me, I'm always fucking cognizant of how lucky I am and shit. So I felt like that had to inform this movie. Uh, I've always been trying to kill Dante, let's be honest. Uh, I've had it in for him <laughs> since the beginning. Before I even knew it was Brian O'Halloran would be Dante, I always wanted to kill Dante. And I'm so glad that I didn't do it in the first movie because I would have missed out on making two of my favorite films I've, I've ever made. And, you know, as John Pearson, who was our producer's rep on Clerks years ago, said, he's going, you made this wonderful movie about these two dudes who are great fucking friends that everybody can relate to. And then you kill a guy at the end because you don't know how to end the movie. He goes, just roll the credits. <laughs> so mercifully, we cut that ending and then we get to extend the story. But, you know, he was always fated to die. And so it was always bound to happen. And the moment we did a Clerks 2, even then I was like, hmm. There was that one scene where <laughs> Randall sticks Dante's head in the fryer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Die, motherfucker! Um, but see, here we've earned it. And back then it wasn't earned. Back then it literally was me going like, well, how's Do the Right Thing end? Powerfully. All right, I'll end my movie powerfully. But Spike Lee had a lot to say. I didn't. So killing Dante is, is in Clerks is ridiculous. Killing Dante and Clerks 3 is earned, and there's something kind of beautiful and poignant about it, and there's something important for an audience that likes these movies. Uh, a reminder that, like, even the best people in life that we can count on will always be there. Motherfucker will always be at that convenience store. May not always be at that convenience store. Hospital hijinks, ladies and gentlemen. That guy right there, that's the mayor of Middletown. <laughs> <laughs> Another fucking huge cameo we got in the picture. I guarantee you he brought people into the movie, right? Because you know he told everyone he knew. So I bet you he's worth $100, 100 people worth of business on this movie. That's how you cast That's movies. That's all it takes. If you could bring in $100 worth of business, you too could be in a Kevin Smith movie. Fuck it. You could star in it, for heaven's sakes. Um, this is, uh, let me give shout outs to people here who made this uh third act what it is aside from of course our performers right here who fucking not only stick the landing but then do fucking cartwheels and ta-da's at the end of it it's so fucking impressive uh jordan monsanto and liz destro are producers without whom this movie never fucking gets made and stuff never happens uh we were uh about to shoot what was it we'd done this had we done this no we were about to do the hospital no, we had done the hospital. And oh, I said boy, to... make sorry. up your fucking mind. <laughs> we had done it, but we hadn't done the other part yet. And I said to Liz and Jordan one day, I was like, look, if money was no issue, um, what would you think about this? Randall wants to show Dante his movie. Instead of bringing a laptop to the hospital, he goes to the hospital and he brings him out of the hospital and he takes him to a movie theater. Because I always felt like the movie needs to end in a movie theater. The original incarnation of Clerks 3 did... I, I, you know, is there, is that wrong? I mean, again, don't think about cost, but just story-wise. And Jordan was like, well, if he dies in the movie theater, didn't Randall kill him? And I'm like, well, I don't see it that way. And she's like, the audience might. And I was like, you're right. I guess, I guess he, she shouldn't, he shouldn't take a guy out of the hospital to be like, watch my movie. Yeah. How'd you die? What the fuck? And I was like, yeah, I guess that's stupid. And then Liz goes, yeah, but he could be in a movie theater in his head. And right then and there, I was like, oh, my God. In a world where we've already got some magical realism going on with Dante and Rosario in the graveyard, uh, with Don, Dante and Rosario, with Dante and Becky in the graveyard, with Brian and Rosario in the graveyard, it felt like, oh, maybe we could do that fucking thing that they do in movies where you, you do something that you couldn't do in real life. Like, you're inside his head and he's in a theater watching 
the clips that he's watching on. And so he's watching the movie on the laptop in his head. There he is watching the movie of his life. And at this point, hopefully the audience is catching on like, oh my God, his life is flashing before his eyes right now, which should be a terrifying moment for everybody because we all like life so much. But having been there, having fly, the movie of my life flashed before my eyes when I went through the heart attack, it honestly wasn't bad. It was good. Like it, it, they used to be scared of dying. And this movie made me, uh, not the, the heart attack made me fucking not scared of dying at all. And I wanted to put that in the movie because a lot of people work under that fucking fear of death, man. And it's, you don't want it, don't court it, but it's a natural part of the process. And life only goes in one direction. That's what makes everything so precious and sweet is that one day it fucking stops. So when I was cutting this together, oh, I always knew that moment was going to be devastating when her hand comes in and I got to do it on right on that cue of uh, Gerard Way's Oh Wally Wally. Um, this, uh, this, this shit is porn to me. Uh, this right here breaks my heart every fucking time. Um, when they look at each other, particularly this next shot. Oh my God, how fucking beautiful is that? And it, this, this destroys me. Every time I see it, I get emotional. That part particularly. Because that's when you know for a fact this motherfucker's not coming back. And it's not fucking bad because look how happy he is. Like, he gets to be with the love of his life again. He did something wonderful with his friends. He's been celebrated and seen before he leaves this life. There's no better way to fucking go out of it. And so thanks to Liz going like he could be in his head, we get a really beautiful ending. He was going to be in that hospital yeah. with tubes in his fucking mouth looking at a laptop and that was the last thing dante would have said was like you know before his heart attack yeah so because of what liz suggested i was able to write this dialogue let him fucking speak so dante says something right as he fucking leaves this movie in this world and, and it really helps the the you know obviously you said the the last scene is them arguing and the last part of Dante and Randall being together is Dante calling him like a gaping wound of a human being, which is just like, those are such harsh words. Mm. And to go from that to where he dies, that would have been their last interaction. Yeah. And even though they don't interact in that movie theater scene, it works as a nice buffer to sort of take you away from that argument and uh, transition you into the death scene. And more importantly, it's like, Dante gets some, it, we, as we see, Dante has a full sense of closure where he goes, he wasn't just my favorite filmmaker, he was my best friend. Um, which is like fucking, I remember being in the theater and being like, Brian, you gotta nail that line. Like you gotta nail it with like the crack in your voice and you absolutely fucking nailed it. So there's the, you know, the, the uh, Brian, Dante, we all know as an audience, gets some sense of closure and peace. Randall, for the rest of his life, has to carry the fact that like they did have that fight and that he doesn't get a moment where Dante pulls out the tube and he's like, you know what, man? Everything about you is fucking aces. He has to like wonder for the rest of his, his life. That's important, kids. It's important to remember. Again, I cannot stress it enough. Fucking don't let a sun go down on any fucking argument. This kid right here, there he is. He earned his cape and his fucking cane. <laughs> <laughs> that, by the way, is my literally my favorite line of anything I've ever performed. Dante's Inferno, no. <laughs> Dante's Verdi, so Full credit to to uh, I think it just said Dante's Inferno, no. Dante's Paradiso, yes, or something. And instead, 
Trevor delivers it in this faux Italian. So when Jeff goes up, I'm like, would you give him a grazie? That's one of my favorite looks in the movie is when they, after after Austin throws up the horns and walks away, you give them the most casual fucking look of like, well, that was weird. Uh, and- I, just, I, like, I, don't, I don't know how to, I'm not like you, Kevin. Like, I don't know how to process like authentic feelings. <laughs> so for like... <laughs> At Says like, the sociopath like the, the fox mask. <laughs> and like, as at the, at the movie's most like serious moment, just to be able to kind of pop that balloon was such a like a pleasure for me. Yes, the departed line does that very nicely in the middle of the speech. And I just want it known for the record that the rat shot into the, in the departed does not bother me. Seems to bother Silent Bob. <laughs> like he puts on a face and shit. But in real life, I, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I like it. Uh, but it felt like the move. And this speech, man, fucking devastating. I lo- I remember you were like, I want to cry. And I'm like, I think it's better that you don't because it's been a couple days. I said, the hospital is the cry. Here is you trying to be fucking strong as hell. And you fucking cracking, as you say, like, and finally somebody says the line, you're not even supposed to be here today. Oh, is fucking poignant and beautiful. I love watching the Viusk universe grieve. I promise I won't put the audience through it again and again. I'm not going to make a series of movies where they all start dying. But I, it was the one thing we've never done in the movies before, and I was so happy to be there. It's like Elias gets Hodgkin's lymphoma. <laughs> yeah, watch your asses. Um, there is, uh, I, I love that you still kept the fucking pentagram even like the next day. You're like, this part I, I will rewear. Uh, very Robert uh, Smith, the cure kind of look here. Uh, yeah. on, on Trevor, not on Jen. Uh, Jen looks fantastic. Uh, you know, if I do say so myself, it's very self-serving. Uh, we are married. But uh, she also has aged incredibly well. Um, she'll never listen to the commentary. One of my other favorite I can stop right now. What were you saying, Trev? Uh, just one of my other favorite lines of all time. Here's your sucking blood money. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you phrase things in ways that are so weird. And I, I really like and it. And as you casually throw it off, you don't even really look at it. You're like, here's your sucking blood money. Um, there was uh, there was a moment where who was I think it was Eric Carrasco, a writer friend of mine was like, I, he's going look I I love the performances but I don't think you need that P.S. scene at Quick Stop he's like I think you can go from the funeral to some version of like you doing the pullback you know um, at the end of the movie, and I was like I I I know editorially you can do that mm. I was like but I think that might be too fucking heavy. Mm. to go from the funeral and then fucking that pullback. And, and it's just, I, I think you need a little moment in there, levity. I said, plus there's just a little more story to tell. Otherwise people are like, hey man, does she own Black Place? And to bring the crypto story full circle, which yeah. is like just like layered in there bit by bit. Chekhov's, Chekhov's crypto. Yes. <laughs> and here our boy finally gets to speak with the goofiest painted on mustache of all time. We should have planned it out better to be like, you pick the outfit that you get to speak in finally. But it's adorable that it's this. You both mirror each other constantly. Um, the uh, Austin is uh, uh, quite like his character. Uh, don't be surprised if you find those for sale one day, kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, just like your character, you know a bit about crypto. Yes. Yeah, so you were a key, when you came into it, you were like, oh, I like the crypto stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it like screaming at Jennifer? That's what you're just doing in that scene. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of shit off my chest. Um, it, it was, uh, this is, um, you know, some people might be like, well, fucking... In a movie that's so real, this ain't real. And I'm like, but this represents, like, clerks to me. Like, you know, we don't get to see what happens to inconvenience. 
you, they needed some happy ending, some sense of closure, some sense of success. And that was my clerk's moment. Like, you know, when fucking somebody picked up that movie, my life changed. And, and you know, I could throw money at people and be like, here's your sucking blood money. So I wanted to give uh, our characters that as well. And also it felt important to like level the field a bit with Elias, like, you know, give him a bit of a voice of authority, you know? And I love where he's just like, I, I'll never earn, I'll never be able to earn my place here, but I'll, I, I can now I could buy it. This. No, I, I know this isn't like Elias's story by any stretch, but he really does kind of become a self-actualized, you know, adult. I love it. Last. I love it. Yeah, that, that's I love the side story of Elias, like kind of coming into his own. This you nailed absolutely perfectly. It wasn't in the script. And one of the last takes I said to Jeff, throw in, I wish you were here, man. And fucking the delivery of his pitch perfect. It is so melancholy and sad. Watch, look how sad Randall is. And then he's going to shake it off and kind of go back to life. What's going to dislodge him, he's going to see the kites and then be like, these fucking idiots. And now he gets to go back to his paper. But it reminds me of that moment in Clerks. Remember Randall and Repose in the middle of the fucking uh, montage? Yeah. Um, where Randall, like when nobody's around. Just a quiet moment. He's just like fucking sitting there, like does not know what to do with himself. That's the promise. Like uh, this movie fulfills that promise is you got to find out what was going on in those fucking private moments. That moment right there, with my kid uh, playing the new version of the milkmaid or the milkmaiden, if you will, uh, was necessitated by the fact that my mom, who appears earlier in the movie in a montage, she couldn't come uh, to Jersey during the uh, COVID for for that shoot. So I was like, well, what am I gonna do? I guess I can just do the pullback without somebody. And then I was like, oh, Harley's here. Cause she was there uh, most of the movie as support for Austin. Austin was with her in Dallas for Cruel Summer. And so she's like, I'm gonna come out to Jersey the whole time. She spent the whole time rescuing fucking cats. Cost me a fortune. <laughs> but uh, in any event, there was, um, uh, wait, what was I just telling the story about? Milk. The milk. Milk, the thank you. So I said, Harley's here. I mean, Harley, you know, Harley's related to my mother. So it'll be kind of like a passing of the torch. This will work. And uh, I told Brian, I was just like, uh, so he, Brian's like, who's gonna do, is your mom not coming? Who's gonna do the milkmaid thing? I was like, Harley's gonna milkmaid. And he goes, oh, that's funny. He goes, what, she could be pulling oat milk out? And I was like, she fucking is now, bro. That's a great idea. <laughs> and I tweeted Oatly, and I was like, hey, man, can we end Clerks with some oat milk and your product? And they like, fuck yeah. And they sent us a bunch of oat milk and free ice cream and shit. And it's, you know, a nice little kind of statement on, like, life goes on, next generation. Somebody asked, is, like, is she the new clerk? I was like, no, not in my mind. She was just there wearing Jay's shirt, which she wore in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. But it is an old quick stop smock, so I can see how people make that connection. Uh, smocks were a big part of this movie, too. Uh, there are official quick stop smocks. Uh, naturally, you could buy those, but I didn't create them so people could buy them. I felt that that was the carryover. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. It was the only carryover that they had from their days in movies. Like, Randall was like, I like that we wore smocks. <laughs> and so, like, they instituted smocks at quick stop. Uh, that's the and that's literally the only thing that changed in the store. The store is exactly the same in every other way, except they were like we added smocks. Um, as the credits roll, kids, let's hear your thoughts. Brian O'Halloran, star, uh, uh, Dante, uh, the man who uh, is with us no longer, uh, but as a force ghost. And there was a question about whether he'd be a force ghost at the end, but I was like too cheesy. What are your closing thoughts on uh, 
Clark's the the trilogy. Uh, finally, the Jersey trilogy is the the real Jersey trilogy. No, yeah. no offense to Dogma or Chasing Amy, uh, but it's so. This has definitely been your most poignant, most so beautifully written, well encapsulated with humor, weirdness, and a lot of yes, pun intended, heart in this one uh performances 30 years in the making pretty much uh all elevated uh to bring this amazing script to light um knowing what that first iteration of a clerk's three script was which was a a darker type of feel but knowing where it was germinated out of doing that those two live readings of that script with you oddly enough doing the lines of randall and then getting on this set last year being in this weird time machine inception metaverse coolness and then finally seeing it and feeling it and seeing it with that premiere audience and just hearing the responses was just really 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 overwhelming and amazing and uh, me personally went through so many emotions in making it waiting for it to be made waiting for it to be released and i i couldn't be any happier with this um i will go down saying like i was the tony stark of this universe that i, I took it for the team to, to get us out of there not so much a tony stark as a male crackler who is cosplaying as tony stark potato potato uh, the hideous chud of tony stark <laughs> The Han Solo, may it be, uh, whatever it may be, uh, taking it down, being the first one to be down and out in this one. Uh, I give kudos to you and to Jeff uh, being uh, that co-star who brought it out uh, of me as well as uh, Rosario and everybody else I got to play opposite of, which was uh, always amazing. You'll see more of Brian in Clerks 4, Dante Lives. Jeff, closing <laughs> thoughts? Fuck, I just left the room. Clerks 4. <laughs> Jeff, where are you? Uh, you know, for me, when I, when I look at Clerks 3 and when I watch it again, I am just so happy that it saw us back in the quick stop. Yeah. Um, I, I've always said, you know, the quick stop is just as much of a character as Dante Randall, Silent Bob, Jay, Elias, you know, um, Austin. It's it's just as it's just as uh, much of a character, and and it was good to be back in the store. It felt like a good way to sort of uh, end it. Um, and, and you know when you when you start flashing back to the original footage of Clerks, for me that was a really uh, a touching moment in the film mm -hmm. when we go back to the young Dante and we see him there, and uh, just being in the store and and working with all you guys again uh, for me it was it was a it was a nice home feeling. It felt very warm and safe, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was just uh, a nice way for me to sort of bring it full circle. Beautifully put. Uh, Austin, Trevor, thank you for your art. Thank you for bringing the characters to life. Did you just work your eyebrows at me in the <laughs> fox thing you're wearing? <laughs> no, uh, no, that was, you're welcome. I mean, thank you for uh, for uh, including me. Watching this again with all you guys just reinforced my my conviction that I, I made a terrible mistake uh, agreeing to do this. Uh, I was out. I was you free. Were, you were <laughs> you were a real live person. And then we were like, be fake with us. Make pretend. Uh, Austin, welcome no, to the was, world, man. Wait, uh, does yeah. chud mean chode? 
No, Chud is a reference okay. no. to uh, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, a movie from the 80s called Chud. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just want to clear that up. Perfect way to end the commentary track with a real question. I'm like, what, what is a Chud, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, there it is, kids. Hopefully you've enjoyed Clerks 3 commentary track. Um, we'll see you on Clerks 4. Thanks for being there for us, man. I, sh Thank you. I, I assure you we're close. <laughs>